Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Here you go. Here you go. CBO. That's the nothing personal word of the day. It is September 15th, 2023. Four years ago when Chaim Bloom was named the chief baseball officer of the Boston Red Sox, it occurred to me that I've been outtitled. We came up with and thought of president of baseball operations along with the Nationals. I think it was along with the Nationals. That was a good title for someone who is not is a GM, but it enables you to hire an assistant GM to be a GM so they can't be poached by another team with a better title. So John Henry, the financier, owns the Red Sox with Tom Warner and LeBron James, not really, but it's okay, through Fenway Sports Group. President Sam Kennedy, he's president of the whole team. They came up with this title, Chief Baseball Officer. I like that, Chief People Officer, Chief Revenue Officer. Chief Marketing Officer, Chief Financial Officer. Why not Chief Baseball Officer? Chaim Bloom is no longer the Chief Baseball Officer of the Boston Red Sox. After four incredibly mediocre years, the Boston Red Sox decided in the middle of September to fire Chaim Bloom. When I saw the news cross my phone, I was thinking about all the times I've defended John Henry and Tom Warner to so many of you, so many Boston fans, so upset with the fact that they may have three last place years out of the last four. And I would always respond with, they're the most successful team of this century. And we're not even a quarter done with the century. Four World Series with the first one in 04. So it's really four in 20 seasons. It's absolutely beyond belief how successful they've been. But David, it was Theo Epstein. Well, then he left and Ben Charrington came. David, it was Ben Charrington won the third one, Theo won two, but then he left. Dave Dombrowski, he won one. It's like Oprah and her cars. You be the GM of the team, you get a ring. Except when the Red Sox were winning rings, they also were winning something else. The baseball payroll race. Every year they won, they were in at least the top three of industry payroll. They were one, they were two a couple times, they were three. They were a force to be reckoned with. And then they realized, like the Dodgers have, like the Yankees have, you know, we'd like to get below the CBT, the competitive balance tax. We want to reset it. Do you think when the owners... That's a Friday issue, David. Three, six, 69. Do you think when the owners negotiated the collective bargain agreement with the players and they put in a provision about resetting the competitive balance tax that a team has to pay if they spend one year below the tax, but if they don't, then it doubles, it triples, it becomes 
I would have agreed to 500% if a team wants to go over the CBT for five years in a row. An extra 100% a year. Like the provision I negotiated when we built the stadium and the city of Miami and County of Miami-Dade wanted in case the Marlins were sold right after a new stadium was given to them in 2009, after we negotiated a 66-33 deal, there's a provision called the flip tax, which is if you sell the team within a year of getting this financing for a new stadium, we want 50% of the proceeds. All of the owners, lawyers, and bankers said, absolutely not. I stood up and said, of course, we're happy to do it. Give the public a win. We're not selling the team in a year, are we? So it goes down over time because the longer you keep the team, then it really wasn't the building of the new stadium that caused you to get the increase in value that caused you to sell immediately so you were not taking advantage. When the negotiation for CBT penalties is happening, it's the same concept. Because when you put in there an escape valve, like, hey, get below the tax for a year, and guess what? You're rewarded with a reset. All the teams want to get below the tax for a year. In order to get below the tax for a year, there are going to be players traded. It was absolutely known by Boston and the commissioner's office and everyone else involved that resetting the tax for the Red Sox was going to mean that Mookie Betts was not going to be a lifetime Red Sox player. Chaim Bloom was told by John Henry to trade Mookie Betts. And all you're going to read today is Bloom is terrible. And believe me, I'm not shy of criticizing GMs. You've heard me talk about AJ Preller, ad nauseum, and others. Chaim Bloom made a trade and the returns were not good. We didn't fire anyone for the Cabrera trade and our returns weren't good either because it's hard to fire someone when you've told them they have to do it. Wait, maybe they didn't have to trade Mookie Betts. Maybe Bloom could have come up with a way to get under the tax by keeping Mookie Betts and making other such decisions. Do you remember who he attached to the Mookie Betts deal? David Price. So the Red Sox meet as an ownership group and they look at the season and they see that they were playing well. They had a chance at the deadline. They were only a couple back. They really thought there was an opportunity to get going. They spend money. They sign Trevor Story, remember that, overpay? That doesn't happen with just your CBO. It happens with your CEO and owner. But in any case, the Red Sox look and they say, we've been up, we've been down, because we win a World Series, then we're not so good, then we win a World Series, then we're not so good. God, it reminds me of the Marlins. I mean, win a World Series, not good, not good, not good, not good, not good. Or the Red Sox, in the middle of a string where people will be reminded of the Marlins. Two World Series in six years, 97 and 03, and then not a lot of success. Some close calls over the years, some good seasons, but no rings, no playoff appearances. The Red Sox were just in the LCS. Do you remember? I know it's hard to remember who's in the league championship series. It happens to me too, but the Red Sox were just there maybe two years ago. So the ownership gets together and they say, all right, we're getting criticized here. 
everybody is all over Chaim Bloom. He is not Mr. Presence. He is an incredibly smart, affable person, incredibly good at his job. But one of the things that he doesn't necessarily love is curating. It doesn't altogether interest him. Curating seems important when you're in Boston, when you're competing with the Patriots, when you're competing with the Celtics, when you're competing with the Bruins, you want your team to be relevant. Because the Red Sox remember a time when Fenway Park was not selling out. And then they remember a time when they had the longest streak of sellouts maybe in the history of baseball. So they sat down and they said, we're gonna have to make a change, but let's figure out how we're gonna say it. So John Henry, the principal owner said, here's the plan. And it's gotta be John Henry, cause I doubt it's his PR people. While parting ways is not taken lightly, today signals a new direction for our club. Here's a little nugget about talking about direction during statements. When you're in last place, what other direction is there? He continued. Our organization has significant expectations on the field. And while Chaim's efforts in revitalizing our baseball infrastructure have helped set the stage for the future, we will today begin a search for new leadership. Have you seen that before where you hire a manager or a coach to do a rebuild. And then when you start seeing the fruits of the rebuild, there's a coaching change because the thought is, hey, we need someone to go the last mile. It's like running the first 25.2 of a marathon and then being told, hey, we're gonna sub you out right now. We got the last guy to take it a mile. What would be the reason why in a statement you have to say, Chaim Bloom's reputation is intact. Chaim Bloom, will get another position running a baseball organization. There is no doubt about that if that's what he wants to do. But what's the reason to say that his efforts in revitalizing our baseball infrastructure, what the hell does that even mean? And then he wanted to let you know how well he knows Chaim Bloom and you don't. Everyone who knows Chaim has a deep appreciation and respect for the kind of person he is. That's so sweet. That's what we all want to read about in the statement after we get fired is that we want everyone to know that we're really good people because that really makes up for it. His time with us will always be marked by his professionalism, integrity, and an unwavering respect for our club and its legacy. Yummy. Let's see what's not in there. They decided to edit out losing. They edited out the playoff run that he was a part of. They edited out some of the good trades, good signings. They really didn't talk about the bad ones either. But just so you're all aware in his statement, he's very professional. He showed up to work every day. Great integrity. Didn't break the rules like those guys in Houston. He really respects our club. He wore our gear every day. So John Henry says, that's how I'm going to do it. And then the president of the Red Sox said, mm, let me try to clean that up just a tad. The team president, Sam Kennedy, who happens to be a really good team president. According, the decision was not made lightly or easily. Thank God. It's a painful reality that fans feel as deeply as we do talking about being in last place. Our fans deserve a winning competitive team that consistently plays postseason baseball. Hmm. 
Let's go back to the other three general managers. Is it true that Dombrowski was let go soon after winning a World Series? What about Sherrington? What happened with Theo? Maybe he had a problem with Larry Lacino? Hmm. I wonder what caused him to say, Gnug, let's move to the Cubs. Put another notch on my Hall of Fame belt. I would have preferred that the Red Sox came out and simply said, we understand that all of you are calling for Chaim Bloom's job and we can't take it anymore. We don't want to read. We are going to do it because we want to show you that A, we listen to you, bad idea, and B, we're paying attention that you're not happy in last place, even though we got to put it in there that we care as much as you do, maybe more that we're in last place. I find it all to be quite disconcerting the way it happened. If I'm high in bloom, I'm going to take another job. I'm going to go back to a team and I don't care if it's small revenue, high revenue, doesn't matter. I'm going to go back to another team and I'm going to win a World Series and people are going to hire him to do that. One of the things that hurt Bloom is that people blamed him for the lack of spending. How is that possible? That's like you as an employee in your company being blamed when budgets are cut or are you being blamed when there are certain HR decisions made that have nothing to do with you that you had no part of. Do you think that Ryan Bloom went to John Henry and Sam Kennedy and said, excuse me, I'd like a payroll of $217.69 million. May I have that, please? Nope. Payroll's given from ownership to the CBO. That'll do it. Hey, the Red Sox split the doubleheader against the Yankees. The interim GM is one and one. Yippee-ki-yay. Front Office Sports is a really good source of information, really good writers, good editors. It's an, it's an interesting business. If you look at their newsletter, they released a story yesterday that fascinated me about the NFL. And I tweeted about it at David P. Sampson because I felt as though the NFL was not exactly being forthcoming with you. So I felt it was my job to translate and tell you exactly what they're talking about. The NFL is starting an ownership policy committee. Does that sound familiar? Remember in February of 22, when MLB started an economic reform committee, and we explained to you what in fact that is. They're trying to figure out how to keep small revenue teams and large revenue teams not killing each other, trying to find out a way to keep Steve Cohen from spending. Maybe they've done it. An ownership policy committee is a fancy word, not even that fancy, ownership policy committee. Those are like, Sixth grade words. It's a non-fancy way of saying, we're gonna write down a bunch of rules like the NBA did and the NHL did, and we're gonna make it okay for foreign money to be invested in the NFL. Because Josh Harris, who just bought the Commanders, who is a billionaire, who already owns the Devils and the Sixers, was putting a group of people together to pay $6 billion to get Daniel Snyder OU Triple T. Josh Harris said to Roger Goodell, hey, you're killing me here. I gotta find Magic Johnson plus 19 other people. Magic Johnson, of course, doesn't count. I gotta go look for Steven Rails. Steven Rails doesn't count. I gotta find a bunch of people. We gotta get enough equity because we can't borrow $6 billion. We have to write a check. Roger Goodell looked around and said to his other owners, 
whispering in Jerry Jones's ear, we want your team to be worth 20 billion. Who the hell is gonna pay $20 billion? We've got the billionaires of the billionaires scraping it together to get to six. And we want six to be the benchmark on the low end because the commanders were such an absolute nightmare. Therefore, let's put a few things in writing, but here's what we're gonna say. Following the Denver, remember the Denver deal with the Walmart guy, Walton? Following the Denver and Washington transactions, the Finance Committee has agreed that it would be appropriate to look at the full range of ownership policies, including permitted debt levels, very important, the more debt you can get, the more a team is worth. Minimum equity requirements, love that. You can't have a minimum equity requirement of 50% of the value of the team. Who's gonna walk in with 10 bill? And eligible categories of investors. Hmm. A little trick when you're writing something. When you're listing four or five things, the way the eyes work, is that you wanna put the most important thing at the start of the list and at the end of the list, and you wanna bury the thing that is not, that you don't want to be focused on right before the and. So I'm gonna read it to you. Permitted debt levels, comma, minimum equity requirements and holding periods, comma, eligible categories of investors, and expanding opportunities for more diverse ownership. That was in the memo obtained by Front Office Sports that was sent to the other owners. What they want you to focus on is expanding opportunities for more diverse ownership. That's a good talking point. Let's talk about permitted debt levels. That's good. And let's quickly hide right before the final and eligible categories of investors. Who could they be talking about? You've got to be five foot 10 or higher. Let me say that better, Coke. I can make that different, right? Because it's not higher. Three, six, nine. You can be five foot 10 or taller. You must weigh a minimum of 132 pounds. What are some other categories? You must be from America. Ooh, we don't want that category. Hmm. You can be a sovereign fund from Saudi Arabia. Hello, that's a category of investor. Do you know how this plays out? This ownership committee, policy committee is gonna get together. They'll name the owners on it and it'll be the usual crew, but it's really the commissioner's office who will work on all of the policies. It's the worker bees in the commissioner's office who go to the meetings, they look at the owners, they present us a agenda. They talk about what's on the agenda. The owners say, oh, I like that. Oh, I don't like that. Hey, can you do that work and this work and get back to me on that, this, that, and that. And then the commissioner's office workers put together a document that are the ownership policies. Then the committee meets with the owners at an owner's meeting and guess who gets to present it? The owners on the committee. It's not plagiarism really, it's, I don't know what the word is. It's not appropriation, that's not a good use of the word, but it certainly is talking about something that you did not come up with. But don't worry, MLB does it, NBA, NFL. The people in the commissioner's office, really, really smart people. And what will be contained inside the new ownership policy will be that sovereign funds are now eligible categories, just like the NBA, just like the NHL, and just like I told you. So I'm gonna do a wait to see now. Wait to see is when I tell you something's gonna happen. When it does, great. When it doesn't, 
fine. Either way, I revisited. Remember yesterday or two days ago, I revisited the theater when, uh, oh my God, Coke, it's Friday. What's the name of the guy? David Stearns. When David Stearns, ooh, hello, hold on. Hi, my name's David Sampson. All right, I'm, I'm in the clear. No stroke at the moment. When David Stearns was hired by the Mets, I had a wait to see about Theo Epstein from two years ago that I revisited. Here's a wait to see for today, September 15th. Sovereign fund money will absolutely be allowed in the NFL. There will be rules and parameters like exist in the NBA where they can only own a certain percentage and they can't own a controlling share. They can't run the team and come sit in the owners meetings because you certainly don't want that look of them walking through the breakers lobby in Palm Beach. Hey, doesn't that guy run this Saudi Arabian sovereign investment fund? Ugh, what is he doing here? Oh, he's the control person. Nope, NGTH baby, not gonna happen. However, owners, when they wanna bring in money, similar to what Leonis did in Washington, they will be able to. You just wait. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, I'm gonna review a documentary I watched on Amazon prior to watching the Eagles game. And then we're gonna talk about a question you asked me about one of the pitchers in Toronto. We'll be right back. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson, how are you? Thank you so much for being a part of our show every day live on YouTube, Nothing Personal with David Sampson, live every day, 8 a.m. And then it's available at 8.45 if you can't make it at eight and you live on the West Coast or in Hawaii. Although maybe you could wake up at 2 a.m. It's not all that late. I was communicating with certain fans of the show last night at 2 a.m. as a matter of fact. 
I think they're fans of the show. Please rate, review, download, subscribe, and head over to our website, David Sampson Podcast. There's some cool things going on there. So I do watch a movie every day, and the Eagles were playing Thursday night football, and I wanted to watch the new Amazon documentary called Kelsey. Kelsey is about the Kelsey brothers, not really. It's really Jason Kelsey. Jason Kelsey is the, uh, the center for the Philadelphia Eagles. You may remember last year's Super Bowl was Jason Kelsey against Travis Kelsey of the Chiefs. Travis Kelsey prevailed. You may remember that their mom wore a half Eagles, half Chiefs jersey, and she ended up a winner either way and a loser. This documentary brings you inside Jason Kelsey's family, Jason Kelsey's family, his decisions, how he prepares for games. There's a lot of game footage. Guess who cooperated with the making of this documentary? Had to have been the NFL because Amazon released it and they used a hell of a lot of game footage. It almost looked like, do you remember the uh, days Coca, you may not, do you remember, was it inside the NFL where, where there was, who was the, who, oh, come on. What's the name of the family who did all of the highlights when you wanna watch Super Bowl 25 and you wanna watch the Giants beat the Bills and it's that same family. The father passed away, then the son took it over. Steve Sobel, Ed Sobel, one of those two has at least a chance to be correct that they were the voice of something. And what you got was this amazing, amazing look at the game. So half the documentary is like a game recap. Now they did get access to his home and you see what he does during the off season. You see what he does with his girls and he's reading a Dr. Seuss book, Oh, the Places You'll Go. At the end of the day, it was fine. 102 minutes, not nothing. I'm okay with you spending 102 minutes watching it because you get this sort of background Ed Sobel was the father and Steve was the son. Thank you, Coca. You get this feeling that you're seeing something like Drive to Survive or like Breakpoint or like Full Swing. You just feel like you're getting a little insight into the speech that Jason Kelsey gave before the Super Bowl last year against the Chiefs. Just that alone, I'm in. Kelsey, it's on Amazon. If you don't have Amazon, how'd you watch the Eagles push last night? All right, let's switch gears. Coca? You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Welcome to the movie Half-Baked. The best way to watch Half-Baked is to be about 67, 69th baked. Check it out and then look for a character named Samson. And if you're moved by that character, get on my website, davidsampsonpodcast.com or into Twitter at David P. Sampson. Ask a question, because you never know. Hello, David. That's a great way to start. Last month, Alec Manoa was demoted to AAA Buffalo after recent poor performances. He's a pitcher for the Toronto Blue Jays, a pitcher who finished top three in Cy Young last year. Young pitcher, not even eligible for arbitration pitcher because of service manipulation. We fans are just hearing that he was upset at the demotion and refused to report. He's been placed on Buffalo's temporary inactive list. That's the AAA team for the Toronto Blue Jays, the Buffalo Bisons. 
I'm watching the Jays game on Rogers Sportsnet, and Manoa is on commercials after every second inning selling fried chicken. As Jays president, would you encourage Mary Browns to reshoot the ads with an active player? Regards, and I love your show, Brad in Newfoundland. Well, Brad, that is a double-tiered question. I want to talk about both things. I'm going to start with the fun one, which is the ads when a player gets traded or a player gets demoted. When you do a sponsorship deal, in this case, with the deal with Mary Browns, the cost of production of the ads is borne by the company, not by the team. So when you sign a sponsorship deal, that's for $200,000. And as part of that sponsorship deal, they get eight season tickets, and that adds up to a period amount of money. They get a suite for 40 games, that adds up to a period of money. And they get use of marks for the following commercial, the following number of times. Then they go to the player and they pay the player. The team doesn't pay the player to be in the ad because players get paid to be in those ads. Our PR people work with our corporate sponsors to get the player to say yes. The player calls the agent, they look at the product, they figure out when they can film it, and they film it. But it costs money to film a commercial. When a player gets demoted to AAA at any point during the season, who it's unexpected because no one thought Alec Manoa would ever be sent down. And remember back in June, we did a whole episode that he was sent down to their Florida State League. They were so despondent, and it was, in theory, to keep an eye on him. Then they moved him up to New Hampshire. Then they brought him back. Then they sent him down. Yada, yada. Mary Browns calls up the Blue Jays and says, hey, Manoa stinks. And the Blue Jays say, yeah, sorry. Hey, I want to reshoot the commercial. The Blue Jays say, no problem. We'll help you get another player. You'll have to pay the player, and you have to pay for production. Why not just stick it out for the rest of the season? Alec Manoa did not do anything other than not perform. If Urias is in a commercial, or Bowers in a commercial, or someone is arrested for domestic violence or sexual assault, or suspended for steroids, or other such nefarious activities that tend to happen during the course of the year, giveaways are pulled, ads are pulled, murals are covered, merchandise taken out of the store. There's a checklist that you go through to erase a player. Manoa is just a player who wasn't playing well and now is having a temper tantrum. If I'm the Blue Jays, I'm not in any way paying for any redo by Mary Browns. What about the second part of this question? Which is, what happened that he did not report to Buffalo? And what does that mean for him going forward? Now, Brad, to be fair to you and all the great people in Newfoundland, you didn't exactly ask this question, but you're going to get a bonus answer. Alec Manoa is very unhappy. He's right now willing to blame everyone but himself for his lack of performance. Meanwhile, the sport is littered with people who have a year of good performance, whether they're pitchers or hitters, and then their careers are not much more after that. It is way more common than you think. Did the Blue Jays think that would happen to Alec Manoa? Of course not. Are they doing everything they can to try to fix him? Of course. But here's the thing if you're Alec Manoa. You have not gotten enough service time to even be eligible for arbitration next year. You were on schedule too, but you didn't. You came close, 
but you didn't. He's a one plus 130. He could have ended up where he would not be arbitration eligible next year, but the year after is a super two. Now that he's 1.13, if he plays a full year next year, he'll be 2.13, right on the edge, but probably not a super two. So the following year, he'll be eligible for arbitration as a very bulky three. What a bulky three means with checkered performance is that they've been around for three plus years. Go look at Miguel Cabrera's first arbitration when we manipulated his service time to delay his arbitration by a full year. When he did go to arbitration, he got paid a lot of money because he had hit a lot of home runs already and won a World Series. Alec Manoa has had Cy Young votes, but when you have an opportunity to send down a player for lack of performance, you take that opportunity. And if you are a player who gets sent down for lack of performance, you get sent down, you pitch your buttocks off, and you make them call you back up. Do you think the Blue Jays are manipulating the service time at the expense of trying to get the last wild card? Don't be ridiculous. The Blue Jays would like nothing more than Alec Manoa to be the Alec Manoa of yesterday, last year, because that would give them a better chance of performing in the playoffs. But if you know that he's not performing and you know you're not going to give him the ball because you don't trust him anymore, then you can send him out. I've had players throw temper tantrums upon being sent out. They've turned stuff over in the clubhouse or they've yelled or banged a table. They say they're going to take the maximum amount of time to report. Under the previous CBA, and I don't know what it changed to, but I assume it's probably the same, you had 48 hours to report. The young, hungry players, when they're sent down, they report immediately because they want to play to work themselves back. When you're a little more of a veteran and you're upset that you're being sent down because you're not veteran enough to not be sent down, then some of them take their time. I would always say to players, do me a favor. You have the right to take 48 hours, but we want you in the lineup tomorrow. We've got a flight for you. Can you please do it? And some players didn't, some players didn't. But under all scenarios, you got to be there and in the lineup, on the bench, in your locker, in Buffalo. Alec Manoa said, no, I'm not going. Now, the Blue Jays don't put him on the inactive list because he's already an option player. So he's already making a minor league split because players under three years of service time generally have a minor league split to their deal, a rate they get paid in the minor leagues versus a rate they get paid in the major leagues. He's not accruing service time. He's not pitching. What exactly is he doing? Is he home planting dandelions? Is he with a private coach getting ready for next year where he's going to come on strong and show those Blue Jays how wrong they were? Well, I got a little nugget for you, Alec. I would be absolutely shocked if you were a Blue Jay next year. I went on the fan in Canada yesterday and we were talking about this Alec Manoa situation. And that's why I went with this question, Brad, from Newfoundland. And I said very clearly, I don't want him on my team. I'm going to try to get whatever I can, even though trading a player at the bottom is not a good idea. I'm happy to take a chance on a player who is great, who has a year that's not, thinking that the year that's not is the exception, the year that he was was the rule, but that's if the player is not a turd. If the player, and I've never met Alec Manoa, but not reporting to Buffalo as though you are a 10-year veteran who's won 150 games in the big leagues and is just going through your first rough patch, 
Who do you think you are? Mark Shapiro will have a big decision to make. In addition to whether Ross Atkins will stay. By the way, on a side note, Coca, can I digress one minute on the Chicago White Sox for those people in Chicago? For all the people who believed it when Kenny Williams said, hey, I don't run the baseball side, that's now Rick Hahn. That's a funny one. If that were true, then why would both Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn have to be fired? If Rick Hahn was doing everything and everything had gone south and the culture was bad and the team stunk and Kenny Williams had nothing to do with it, just fire Rick, keep Kenny. He was like a son to you. Or it's what we told you, which is Kenny Williams was of course running the baseball side. With Rick, Kenny got two teams he got to deal with. In any case, it's the same with Mark Shapiro, who's gotten very involved on the business side in Toronto, but you can bet your bippy he's involved on the baseball side. Now, could Shapiro fire Ross Atkins if the Blue Jays don't make the playoffs? Maybe fire Schneider again? Get a new manager, fire a manager again? Or will Rogers say, you know what, we're gonna fire them both. But if they fire both Shapiro and Atkins, I guess it means that Atkins really wasn't running the team alone, was he? So I'd like you to think about that as a Toronto fan going forward. But that's not for today. I personally don't think either one of them will be let go. Because as disappointing as you feel about the Blue Jays season, it's September 15th. They're in the race. And get them to the playoffs, you simply never know. Although the record against playoff teams is mediocre, but you never know. I'm going to do today a double wait to see. Because I'm feeling it. Alec Manoa will not be a Blue Jay in 2024. That is an official wait to see. His lack of reporting to Buffalo is inexcusable, unforgivable, and there is no reason to send a message to the rest of your team come spring training that that sort of behavior is going to be rewarded. It is more important to send the message to your team that that type of behavior will be dealt with. Trade him. If he turns out that he's back to what he was in his first year, you know what? It happens. The other thing that happens is the fade. The fade is alive. Nothing personal pick of the day. Those Toronto Blue Jays could have used a good Alec Manoa yesterday. They had, who had been a Cy Young candidate going Gausman over Evaldi and the Rangers who had a real problem, but the Blue Jays have a bigger problem. And all of a sudden the Blue Jays couldn't win a damn game over the Rangers. The Rangers swept a four game series in Toronto in September the team that you're competing with to be in the playoffs. If you want to talk about despondent beyond repair, that is life inside the front office in Toronto right now. Horrible. So we lost that. I did watch the football game. How the hell does Minnesota, the Vikings have so many turnovers? How does that work? And why is there a rule that if you let go of the ball before it fully crosses the end zone, then it's a touchback for the other team as a turnover? How about putting it first and goal in the one? You're willing to put it first and goal in the one for interference that happens in the end zone, which means you can just do a chuck and duck and hope you get a flag when you need to do a, what are those things called, Coca, please? Um, a Hail Mary. But no, Justin Jefferson does not get rewarded for the great play and run after the catch. And that was it. The Vikings did not lose though. I remain one and one in this year's NFL season because the Vikings-Eagles game was a push because we had it at six. I wish I got it at six and a half, but it was six when we did the show yesterday. So we are 124 and 130. All right, here's what I'm watching this weekend. So pay attention if you want to fade or I may get H-O-T-T-T 
Buster Poindexter style. The Tampa Bay Rays and their almost new stadium are playing the Orioles and their not almost new trade deadline acquisition, Jack Flaherty. Jack Flaherty, as we told you yesterday, has an ERA of 69.69 since the trade. Eflin got the biggest contract in the history of the Rays, and we're going with the Rays over the Orioles. While we agree the Orioles are a great team and they're going to win the AL East, I'm still taking Eflin over Flaherty. On Saturday, I'm going to try to break a streak. And believe me, I don't go down without a fight. I've lost my four Blue Jays picks. So to all of my loyal fans and our loyal fans in Canada, please forgive me. We're taking the Blue Jays over the Red Sox. The Red Sox with their new GM, who will have a senior position in operations, meaning he's only the GM for the next 15 days, but it does count on his record. Chris Sale's going, that's been a good signing. Yeah, that I'm sure that was the GM who signed that deal. Bassett and the Jays over Sale and the Red Sox. Then we try to go to two and one on Sunday. I thought Colorado under Dion would have a letdown in game two. I'm going through that same thought process as I think about the Broncos and the Commanders. Sean Payton, I agree he spent time in the studio. I agree that he's likely overpaid. I agree that Walton was desperate and with the Broncos and took Payton as his coach, gave him all the power in the world, and that they lost their first game. The Commanders, everything was so cool. Josh Harris got a game ball and the Commanders were celebrating the win and all the new revenue at FedEx Field and all the different municipalities from Virginia to DC to Maryland dined to build a new stadium for Josh Harris until he can get some sovereign wealth investors. I think this is the Broncos giving Sean Payton the game ball. I'm a little annoyed I got to give the extra half. Broncos minus three and a half over the Commanders. That's the direction I'm going. All right, a bit of NBA news. Two things of interest happened in the NBA, and I want to touch on them. One is what's happening in Portland, where today it was announced that Damian Lillard has still not been traded to the Miami Heat. It was also announced that Adam Silver is not going to make Jody Allen the now owner of the Trailblazers, who is the sister of Paul Allen, who died five years ago with the team in hand. His estate and will said that the teams have to be sold and the proceeds put into his foundation. Jody Allen, bless her soul, has said, nah, we're not ready to sell. Phil Knight, you want to offer me four bill? Nah, we're still not ready to sell. Anybody else? Want to get me to 6.1, Bill? Can we wait for some new ownership guidelines and maybe get a little foreign money and see if we can't beat the commanders? Let's really pump up the value of that foundation. The fact that the team has not been sold yet is true horse hockey. And the reasons given yesterday were shocking. Adam Silver said the Board of Governors has not even discussed compelling a sale of the team. Why not? Because it's not their job. They're, they do not have to abide by the terms of one of the dead owner's estate. There was a succession plan, and Paul Allen's succession plan was always Jody Allen. It doesn't mean that it's ad infinitum forever, but why would Adam Silver care? Because as he said, the trailblazers are run in a first-class manner. Jody Allen said, you know, 
This is a very, very big estate that my brother had. Yes, one of the founders of Microsoft. Yes, it's tens of billions of dollars. I'm with you, maybe more. She said, you know, it can take 10 to 20 years to wind down that estate. Hold on. Hey, Christie's and Sotheby's, can you do me a favor and sell all of his art? You don't mind, we're gonna make a quick billion and a half, do a little installment of the estate tax, maybe buy ourselves a little something, but we don't have to wait that long to sell that asset, but we really wanna wait to sell the sports team, so let's sell all of his art. Paul Allen had one of the great art collections of all time. They didn't have to wait 10 to 20 years to sell that asset, but they're waiting their sweet time to sell the Trailblazers. I like that. At some point, Jody Allen is going to have to sell the team. It's just not this point. And for Adam Silver to parrot what Jody Allen said made me laugh. Adam Silver wanted you to know it's one of the largest estates in American history. It's highly complex in terms of his assets. Oh, Adam, is it really hard to sell a team? Samson and Coca Law can sell the team for you without charging you that many billions. Speaking of paying billions for a team, we touched on the Phoenix Suns. Matt Ishbia came in, made that big splash, traded for Durant. Then he traded for Chris Paul. No, who did he trade for? The Phoenix Suns did something. They traded away Chris Paul for, uh, I am absolutely having a moment with three minutes left. Coca, please get in my ear if you can. Anyway, Phoenix had Durant. They're spending a ton of money. They haven't won a title. But the biggest thing that Matt Ishbia has done so far is what he's doing in the TV market. And it was released yesterday. Do you remember when Matt Ishbia said that, hey, we're taking our games off of cable TV because our regional sports network is bankrupt. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna put them all on free TV for you. I promise you it's gonna be great. Bradley Beal, thank you, that's who they got. That's the new big three, Durant and Beal. Of course, there's a third, Booker. Whew. Glad that was in my head. Matt Ishbia gave you that line, which is everyone gets these, the, our channel and our games for free. Instead of being in front of a million people, we can be in front of three million people, more. Everything's coming up roses. Don't talk about the fact that we're starting a streaming service where you can get our games in market and you've gotta pay a subscription fee. We don't wanna talk about that. What we do wanna talk about is that we're gonna buy everybody rabbit ears. And I looked at that and I said, what? Oh, there's David again, Mr. Privilege. Rabbit ears are the things that you put on the TV when you need to get a channel. You can put the rabbit ears on the dresser, you can put the rabbit ears on TV. Sometimes when I was younger, I had the rabbit ears and you've gotta move the antenna in a certain way in order that you can see some channels. Well, the Phoenix Suns are gonna be on free over the air television, that's true. And if you need rabbit ears because you don't have them, you can sign in to suns.com. And then you're eligible to get an $11 set of rabbit ears. I said $11 because I found one on Amazon. While supplies last. Of course, supplies already ran out because people want absolute rabbit ears. Even if they need them or not, there's no way to prove they need the rabbit ears. You just get rabbit ears. Why wouldn't you take rabbit ears for free and then put them on eBay? Hey, you just got yourself $5. It makes total sense to me. But Ishbia's main point is, this is us being fan friendly. We want access for everybody. Now, if you've got money and you wanna stream games and you don't wanna have to maneuver rabbit antennas, though operators are standing by to teach you how to use them, 
we've got a little streaming service just like the Yes Network and just like Nesson, and we're going to want probably 20 bucks a month to get Phoenix Suns games. Is that going to be a problem? Matt Ishbia is giving up TV revenue? Don't be ridiculous. But it's damn good PR that everyone gets Foo Foo Rabbit for free. Well, that's our show. I want to wish everyone a happy Rosh Hashanah, happy New Year, Shana Tova. We will be back Monday, a week from today after the show, I start that 48-hour running challenge. We'll talk more about it next week. God knows there'll be plenty of content that happened this weekend, and we'll address it all Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday because it's just business. This is nothing personal.